Hello, my friends. Welcome to the second episode of the Kokoro Movement Podcast. Today's guest is Brendan Cabral, the owner of Thrive Athletics in Flagstaff, Arizona. I would like to caution you that there is some foul language spread throughout this episode as we get fired up on certain topics. And here we go. Brendan Cabral. training and uh, really so we're kind of a boutique strength conditioning gym you know we do personal training um, boutique meaning size you know so we have we, we're not one of these giant mega gyms um, we have kind of a smaller more intimate approach there but we still turn out some powerhouse uh, athletes and, and then we do a lot of regular folk as well um, but taking the applications we, we go from strength conditioning and kind of reverse engineering those for you know average Joe and average Jane in their regular lives so we're prioritizing quality of movement and posture and things like that you know the way would for like field athletes or strength athletes as well and, and uh you know of course taking the nutrition and things like that so so we've been running thrive for about 10 years um uh i'm sorry eight years in flagstaff i've been i've been training for 11 or 12 years now it kind of starts creeping up <laughs> yeah <laughs> time keeps floating away so yeah um before that, I was I was heavily into martial arts practice, traditional um, classical Chinese and Korean arts, and uh, so mainly like kung fu and some of the derivatives that come out of Korea that are like that, and and uh, qigong, which is a Chinese health practice. That um, you know, for those who are not familiar, it's um, the word itself means health work, but if you think of like Taoist yoga, you would get a, a pretty good picture of what's going on. So some of it's static, some of it's moving around, and you know, Tai Chi kind of comes out of those systems as well. Um, so I've been doing martial arts for about half my life and I was coaching martial arts as well and I kind of the personal training and strength conditioning um, kind of evolved out of that and um, uh, so actually that whole story kind of goes back further which is uh, because of the martial arts I was I, I wanted to get into um, medicine and specifically like Chinese oriental medicine um, because I saw a lot of people in my life that were really you know looking for these magic bullets type of Western pharmaceutical approaches or surgeries and like, I don't have to fix myself, I just take this pill and everything's better. And um, at the time I saw that Oriental medicine, uh, because of my experience with like Qigong and martial arts where you're kind of improving yourself as being an extension of that self-improvement. Um, but then the reality of that was when I went to, um, you know, I was, I was taking some classes, I was interning um, quite a bit at a couple different colleges, one in San Diego, one in Denver eventually, because we moved and I was hanging out, I was, you know, I spent all my free time in the herb shops and uh, with the doctors and just trying to clean and, and help out and, and pick up whatever information I could because some of these guys were great. But the type of client that was coming in often to 
to the clinics um, that are attached to these colleges were looking for the same thing. They're looking for a magic bullet. And um, they didn't, you know, so the doctors would be like, oh, have you taken your herbs? Uh, have you been doing those exercises we talked about? Did you take this such and such out of your diet because it's causing this GI distress for you? And the clients would, you know, would always be, the patients would always be like, oh, yeah, I did for a couple of days and I started feeling better and then I stopped. You know, I just, I just want you to come back and make me feel better again. And, you know, really the, to me that was the same thing that I was trying to get away from in, you know, so-called Western approach or whatever that people would assume for this magic bullet. And I didn't want anything to do with it. You know, right then I was like, I can't, I can't just facilitate people not, you know, I can't just be fixing and applying band-aids all the time. I can't facilitate people not working on themselves to get better in some capacity. Right. And I don't mean that we all have to be like, you know, per exemplars. Like everything we do is got to be perfect and uh, up to code and things. It's not like that. But if you have shit going wrong with you in your life, like it's up to you to kind of fix that. So that's really, you know, I was having kind of this, um, I was really bummed out actually because yeah. I, like I was, I was going to be an, like an acupuncturist, an oriental medicine guy and, you know, Mr. Kung Fu. Um, and it kind of hit me hard, but like I really, like I couldn't. I couldn't suck it up and just be like, no, I'm gonna do this because everybody that was coming to these clinics were like, was just like that. So it was, I was actually talking to my wife and she had <laughs> mentioned that, you know, I was doing a lot of strength conditioning to augment my martial arts anyways. You know, I was doing a lot of work with kettlebells and a lot of calisthenics type of exercises. And so that's kind of how that grew out of that. I, I, I saw in personal training and then later on a little more strength conditioning, um, the ability to reach, you know, a lot of people, to affect a lot of people positively at once and actually, have them improve their lives because, you know, with 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 any of the stuff, CrossFit, strength conditioning, just you know, uh, powerlifting. If you're doing this stuff, you know, even just for fun, if you're not doing the work, you're not going to see the results from it. So you can't come into the sandbag and then blame, you know, blame the medicine or whatever because right. the work is the medicine in this. And so, and so it's that's, you know, that's where we're one and the same, even though we're doing kind of different stuff but not really we're kind of starting to merge a little bit but the people that aren't taking ownership of their own bodies and their own health you know they just you can't sit on your couch all day and eat garbage food and then blame the doctor for not getting better absolutely and absolutely. so I agree with you right so there's like a lot of diseases out there that are you know 100% curable through diet and exercise one hundred percent, and that's not even. You know, I think a big important thing to, if I'm interject, is that again, we don't have to be perfect. I mean, you know, I'm not, nobody's I, gonna be perfect. I'm not perfect, but I love cheeseburgers and beer on the weekends, <laughs> and you know, um, and I think a lot of times, you know, as, as health practitioners, so I really see, you know, my application of personal training as being a health first approach, and then we and we elevate from there. So I, you know, I see a lot of people are kind of broken, and we're doing kind of corrective exercises, but I'm I'm really straightforward with people. It's, you know, the more you put into it, the more you're gonna get out of it. Right. Of course, right? But you don't have to, you you know, the 80-20 thing definitely applies here. Yep. And a couple, you know, a couple desserts that you snuck in over the weekend or a couple of beers, you know, a, a, away from your diet plan, it's literally a drop in the bucket over five to ten years, assuming that you're going to be putting in quality work for a long time, right? right. So, but I think, you know, I think a lot of times like health practitioners, especially like personal trainers and, tra and you know, CrossFit coaches, they, we get kind of a bad rep. We get held up to like, this weird, on this weird pedestal where everybody assumes that we're like super perfect all the time that like I only eat boiled chicken and, and broccoli for like every moment it could be farther well, than the truth you know especially, <laughs> especially in the CrossFit space yeah because there's yeah. there's you know the obvious 
representation of CrossFit is the CrossFit Games, and they are the point zero zero one percent of athletes on the planet. Yeah. And you're not going to look that way, and you're not going to perform that way. And that's what people see, and that's even why a lot of people are intimidated to try CrossFit out in the first place. Oh yeah, is because they watch a CrossFit Games and like I can't do that. And the reality is nobody can do that. No, they're talking about one percent of one percent, right? Like, and so the cream of the cream of the crop, right? And then so I, when I first started my CrossFit career, I was, um, you know, doing the three to four hours of training a day, and you know, eating whole thirty for a year and a half straight, perfect diet, you know, and I saw a lot of results from that but it wasn't maintainable. And so now CrossFit is not my number one priority. My career is my number one priority. And like, like a lot of other people, right. like, and like pretty much right. everybody else. And right. my body shows it, right? So I don't have my six pack anymore. I'm getting stronger, but I'm not getting faster, but I'm not also not willing to put in the work in order to do that because then that's taking time away from my career. And so the way that I've, been describing it to people like as if you sit on the couch and eat garbage food six days a week and then one day a week you eat super healthy and then go to the gym and hammer it is that gonna make a difference no if you switch that that is also true if you hit the gym six days a week and you eat healthy six days a week and one day a week you don't go to the gym and you go nuts and eat whatever it's probably not going to make a difference. And so that's what I try to get people to do is, at, you know, at, the, at least four days. Make your, make your good days substantially outweigh your bad days. Mm-hmm. And then you're probably sitting good for a majority of the population on the planet. Absolutely. Especially for most people's goals. I, mean, I think it's important <clears throat> that we as influencers in this space, um, and we sit back and take an honest assessment of what people are actually looking for. Um, you know, there are people out there that, that want to be as fit as possible, right? And whether this is a healthy decision for them emotionally or in their own life sphere, you know, that's up, you know, it's kind of between the trainer and the client in a lot of ways, but really the client, you know, the, the athlete, the client's got to come up and kind of understand like what the trade-offs are. You know, if you're young and you have no family and like you want to be the best athlete in XYZ fringe sport, you know, great. I mean, and this applies to powerlifting, CrossFit, you know, I'm in the kettlebell sport and I laugh a lot. I love kettlebell sport. I've been doing it forever, but it's I mean, like the most fringe of the fringe thing sports. And like, you know, people got uppity about it. I'm like, dude, it, for me, it's a serious hobby. For most people, it's a hobby that makes us fit. Like, and that's all it is. And and you know, if you want to be the best kettlebell sport person in the world, great. You want to be the crossfitter in the world, great. But like, understand the trade offs and how that affects your ability to live a, a life socially and have a family and produce income because those things those things are important. And most people don't want. You know, I think there was a there was a time in the last I don't know five or seven years where we were really pushing people as trainers. We were really pushing people into these, you know, um, a lot of these competitions. Like these, right. you know, we, we had these weekend warrior type of like gym members, and we were pushing them into these competitions. And um, while it's fun and things like that, people got for like you know I have a powerlifting team at my facility, and, and they love it. But like we've really toned back on, on how much we do that in terms of actually being like trying to be competitive, like. And by that I mean just like going to competitions, like and being co- competition ready. I mean, like you know, having great world scores and things like that. But um, 
you know, all those guys, I, at the end of the day, it's fun for a few months out of the year for them to like gear up and, and do that. But most of the rest of the year, they just don't want to feel like shit anymore. Like, yeah. you know, they don't want to have to worry about every little thing they eat as much. And I think that's it. Like, I think that's one of the greatest things that we can give people in the gym is like we can give them a lean physique, a leanish physique. I don't mean six packs. I mean we can build some muscle. We can help improve the pack. Yeah, <laughs> like let's just get some side definition for right. the obliques. <laughs> yeah. um, the front, right. but you know, and, yeah. I, and then they don't have to freak out about everything. Like they feel good. They can, they can eat a little a little more garbage and not have it show every time they do that. And right. and then and then they feel good about themselves. They know they're being productive. You know. Right. And so when I first started. You know, I started out in martial arts similar to you and then moved on to CrossFit from then. And the reason why I was competing was because I didn't believe in myself and I had to pr prove to myself that I was capable. So in the martial arts space, it was proving myself that I was capable of overcoming the fear. Mm -hmm. And then the CrossFit space, it was proving to myself that I was just capable, period. So now that I've proved that to myself, I don't need to compete anymore. You need the validation. And so, but there's also, you know, I want to bring up the, the sickness and wellness bell curve, right? So most, you want to be more towards wellness than sickness. So sitting on your couch all day, you know, eating Krispy Kreme, Say, you're we, sick. You got a desk job that moves right into the couch job. Then, right. Right. <laughs> right. And so that's sick, right? So if you start, you know, just start out by eating a protein shake instead of whatever fried garbage that you're eating, that's starting to creep you towards wellness. And then you start a workout practice, whether that's just going to the gym and walking on a treadmill or whatever it is, then you're gonna keep creeping towards wellness. But I think that there's a point when people get you know, obsessed with the competition that you start to go past wellness and then start to curve back towards sickness. Because then you're, because that's not a maintainable practice. Absolutely, absolutely, and I, and this is a very straightforward conversation I have with people often. Right. Um, we are not all athletes, all right. Like we may be athletic individuals, but we are not athletes. And the reason there's a, the, and the reason I think that's important to distinguish. And sometimes I think this is a disservice um, to our clients. Is if we call them athletes, is because athletes have there's a a set of trade-offs that are acceptable for them, and often. We're talking about professional athleticism. Often there's some there's a payday, right? So if I'm in the NFL and I know I'm gonna be I'm gonna have severe brain damage after ten years of playing, but I'm getting a million dollars a season, like well that's for that person to kind of decide if that's worthwhile right. or not. Like I don't know if I would do it. Nobody's offered me ten million dollars to get ten concussions. So I mean I don't know if I would do that or not, right? right. Maybe I would. <laughs> like sure, hit me with a hammer. But there's there's a risk and reward relationship in time and. It, you know, what you're, exactly what you're identifying is that elite performance isn't necessarily healthy. Right. And that's the, the set of trade-offs that somebody has to decide for themselves. How much am I willing to invest in this? Again, because we're talking about, we're eating into the social sphere now, where, which, which is important for humans. We're social creatures. We, we often want to have relationships and spouses and, and, and careers that all, you know, often aren't in the gym. And even for us that live in a gym as our career, like there's other things we want to do too that isn't like, I don't want to talk about you know, deadlifts all, all over the weekend when I'm not having beers with buddies, right? So, right. but so for the athlete, there's a set of trade-offs that have, that are no, they're known trade-offs. They understand the risk, and they're willing to make to to make amends with that risk factor in to to achieve whatever it is they're trying to achieve, right? And this doesn't, I mean, there's there's definitely levels of different athleticism too, and we have high school athletes. But the world, I mean, the thing that really defines an athlete for me 
rather than somebody who's athletic or active, is their life revolves around the sport, the practice of the sport. Even if they're in school, at the high school or college level, they, every, everything else goes to support the practice of that sport. They have their school day, and then, you know, but they're eating, a lot of these guys too, especially if you go to school, they have nutritionists, and they have masseuses, it isn't even at the high school level. So, yeah. you know, you talk to these guys from football programs from like Texas or the Midwest, and like, they, they're 16 and they have a nutritionist, and they get out of the high school, and they don't, and they don't continue football, and they don't know how to eat, which is a whole other thing, which is, which is weirdly ironic, right? But, right. They don't, you know, or these guys that, um, you know, I just picked up a new client this week and he's had six surgeries on the same wrist um, because he's a left-handed, he was a left-handed lineman, right. right? And he kept smashing it and he was breaking it, doing things like power cleans that he wasn't prepped for and things like that in his football program, right? But, right. but then but that, that was the trade-off for him. He was, it was worth it to play, to have those injuries and, you know, and eventually cost him his actual, his actual athletic career, but, right. yeah. And, yeah, that's a... That's a bummer, man. But it is a bummer, man. But, but see, but him, but that's a, but the, that was a trade-off. And then, and for him, it was worth the risk. And, you know, there's a lot of, um, I think with humans, there's a lot of, uh, it'll, it can never happen to me type of mentality with stuff. Like, yeah, they understand there's a risk there, but like, is it, you know, because you're talking about, you know, statistics and probability. Like, statistically, it's probably not going to be you. Like, that breaks right. your hand six times and loses your football career over that. I mean, he was playing at a high, higher collegiate level. Um, but again, like his whole life revolved around the practice of sport. I mean, an athlete, even though he was like, you, you know, um, so and that doesn't mean that normal, you know, the rest of us, because uh, I'm, I'm like you, I'm kind of done with my, at least for the moment, like I don't really care about getting more trophies and things and trying to like right. compete at a national level with any of these type of things. Um, um, it doesn't mean that we can't be athletic and still involve ourselves in these activities and have fun with it, right? right. But like for me, I don't consider myself an athlete. Like again, I want to be athletic. I want to move well. I want to perform well when I am performing. But my life is not does not revolve around kettlebell sport or martial arts at this point. They right. augment the rest of my life. Um, and so you know, just like you're talking about with the four or five days a week of eating well and the one day, you know, it, um, if uh, having more leniency on your weekend, it's kind of the same thing. It's just this inversion. So the athlete has. 80% of their life is revolving around the practice of the sport, and right. 20% of everything, they're squeezing 20, you know, everything else in 20%. Right. My way's the other way around. 20% of my life is focused on health and fitness for myself, and then, you know, I've got two young boys, and I've got a wife, and, you know, I'm running a facility, and I'm managing, you know, dozens of athletes and clients, and so, um, you know, I've, I flip-flopped that paradigm for myself at this point, but I did the same thing. I, I um, you know, I competed hard for a while, and I took some bruises, and there were some injuries that mounted up there, and it was in for a lot of the same psychological reasons that you mentioned. That it was important for me to prove myself to myself, and you know, frankly, it's fun. I mean, you kind of get into that mind state, and you're like, right. "How far can we take this thing?" Right. But, but then it's <laughs> at some point you just kind of realize what you're doing. And I remember there was a workout, a CrossFit workout that I was doing where I was just having a rough time of it. And then I had a realization that, you know, I'm sitting here training three to four hours a day, five to six days a week to place top 20 at a local competition. Like, what the hell is happening here? You know what I mean? <laughs> what, how is this benefiting me in the long run? And so, you know, then I have this other thing where, you know, my diet greatly revolved around competition so when martial arts I'm cutting this weight mm -hmm. so I can 
weigh in at the specific weight class. When CrossFit competition, you know, I, I needed to be as lean as possible so I could move efficiently as possible. And so it was always three to six months at a time. I'm eating this way and then I'm going to eat this way for like a week and then I'm going to eat this way and then I'm going to eat this way for like a week or whatever. And so now my problem, especially with my diet, is I'm no longer eating for competition. I'm eating for life and I don't really understand what that means. And so, <laughs> but most of us don't, right? I right, mean, right. When there's no, when you're, there's, you know, when it's open ended. And this is a problem right. with training for, so, th and th but this is also a problem with general fitness. And, right. And, um, and I mean, even high-level general fitness, this is a problem with the open-endedness of it. When there's not a competition there, so a comp you know, having these co these these markers throughout the year that you're trading against can be really helpful as well. Right. But you know, there's got to be I think for for many people, got to be a balance in there too. Because right. you know, you're talking about so you were, you were trading what three four hours a day. How many? I mean, you were you were spending hours a week on food prep. It's like how much more time could you have invested, and how much more percentage what you get out of it like you, you, let's say you double down on your training and like you're training now six to seven hours a day and some of that includes like soft tissue work or whatever but and you get marginally better at that point like because it's not it's not like you tell you train twice as much and you're right. twice as good it's like you're talking about like small improvements at this point so, right so right. and then just having the realization that I'm busting my ass to be above average yes you know what I mean and so in order to compete in that space you have to be exceptional and so like you were just saying, like what would I have had to do to go from above average to exceptional? And you know, at that point, I decided that I wasn't really willing to put in the work to do that. And it wasn't optimal for me. And I was getting up there in athletic age to where, you know, I needed to start focusing on a career. But the important part of all that training that I realized was that if you put in the work, you get the results. And so now that's what I'm doing in my career is I'm putting in the work and the results are coming from it. Mm -hmm. And that's really important. But then, you know, kind of back to the not really understanding what eating healthy for life means <laughs> is because like, so I know what three months is, I know what five months is, and I know what six months is, right? So. You know, I'm 36 right now, and if I live to be like 90, which is possible, which then is very likely in our for our generation. Right? right, and so, but eating healthy longer than I've been alive doesn't really make sense. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I can't wrap my head around that. I can only wrap my head around the 36 years that I've been alive, not the potential whatever 55 years. Well, God, that, even right? even the 36 you've been alive, like I mean, how seriously? Uh, how long were you seriously taking your eating and then even then like all the learning curve that goes into that and, right you know so like really you know, and, <laughs> and now there's the the reality that no one diet works for anybody so then you have to experiment with all these different diets to figure out which one works best for you because CrossFit preaches the gospel of paleo they also preach the gospel of zone but that doesn't necessarily work for everybody. Some people work better on keto. Uh -huh. Some people work, and it doesn't, you just have to figure it out. So what, then, what, what are you doing now? So right now I'm just eating. And it's like, <laughs> and so- I like food. <laughs> right. And so I'm trying to mitigate how often I eat bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like what I'm really trying to do is, is 
make sure that my good meals outweigh the bad meals. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and how are you defining that? I mean, so, like, here's a, uh, if so, I... Like, if you look at it in, like, we'll take a week, yeah. right? So if you eat really good for three days, mm-hmm. that's nine meals. On your fourth day, you eat, you just go to Oregano's and go to town, right? <laughs> yeah. Get garlic, cheese, bread, pasta, get the, the pizza, cookie, whatever, and you just go crazy. So that's nine plus breakfast and lunch, which were good. Mm-hmm. That's 10 and 11 to one. You're probably okay. Probably okay. You know what I mean? Unless you're, unless you're the type of individual that can eat, you know, like seven or 8,000 calories in a sitting, which is entirely possible for some people. Right. right? So right. you may have undone for and some so of those last few days. Can, Space it out a little more. Yeah. You know what I mean? The, yeah. Then so you, then you're doing five, five oh. times three, plus the two, to one. Yeah, seven you're probably, to one or whatever. Yeah, you're probably doing it right. That, that's exactly how I explain to my clients. So you right. get, you know, it goes back to that spectrum thing. You're getting, uh, or you know, talk about the health continuum um, and athleticism. We we're talking about earlier is you're just getting more productive. Um, you know, and I, I use the term healthy meals a lot with my clients because people understand that, but it's such a weird, ambiguous term, like. But you know, we're talking about things that are productive. Like you know, eating donuts goes against your goal, your goals. Right. Like you may or may not have some reaction to the sugars or the the gluten in there or whatever. But right, like and if you don't know, then you're not paying attention. Exactly. So like, if you don't know that donuts are bad, then you're not paying attention. Exactly. If you don't Absolutely. know soda, like <laughs> or pizza, or whatever, then you're not paying attention. And so in no, like, and in no world are these things like good for you. Like I mean, also I'll say it's a it's a. At the very best, these foods are neutral for you, and that's if you like you have two donuts a year. Does that matter? Probably not, right? Like if you have one donut a month, probably not. <laughs> probably not, right? right. So it, it, that's the best case scenario. It's a neutral food, right? Now, like it's not, it's it's definitely not productive, but it's not like bad, right? Like, right. But it's not. There's no. There's no. There's no way of thinking and and mental gymnastics where you can say, oh, it's a donut. It's good for me. Even on the most flexible dieting approach, where like right. you're just counting macros and calories. You can say whatever fit you know if it fits my macros. Well, this donut fits in my mouth, so I guess it fits my macros. Right. right. <laughs> like, but you know right. that's a point of things. So like obviously the donuts unproductive for my goals of looking sexier or performing better or what or just me not looking in the mirror and hating what I see. Donuts definitely don't fit into those categories. Right. right? But so, then you could even go down you know, <coughs> the rabbit hole and say rice is good for some people but not others. You could. And it's just and so. That's, that's what, what I'm start. talking about. Are you we gotta, splitting hairs or are we just being like overall? I mean, it's hard because you don't. And you got to figure it out. You got to figure it out. And there has to be just like exercise selection and workout modalities. There has to be the introspection um, in in dietary approaches. I have some clients that generally can eat whatever. I mean, I mean, don't like whatever garbage. I mean, but like, you know, they eat a surprising amount of like canned soups and, and it kind of works for them because their schedule is busy. And, Overall, they're, they're maintaining a, a calorie deficit. When we're talking about calorie balances, right? Right, but it's not it, what I'd like to see them eating more. You know, right? But on but, the but if you're looking at the the sickness and wellness bell curve, they're slowly is it better? It is better, and it's absolutely so, it's better than what they were eating before. Right, which is which is better, and so it, that's better what better. we're and that's what we're creeping towards. You yeah. know what I mean? So now that they're not eating McDonald's every day and they are eating canned soup. Then we start having to make their own soup yep. and, you know, teaching them how to make it in the crock pot and make a whole bunch of it so then you can have it multiple days in a row. And then even getting to the point where, like, if you're one of those people that eats for mouth pleasure, which is what my problem is. I think it we'll get We should come back to that in a moment. Because I think, <laughs> comfort eating, that's, oh, come yeah. on, yeah, we'll come yeah. right back to so, that. So, 
then you have then you make three meals in the crock pot so then you have like a you know some chicken stew some beef stew so you have multiple options whereas when I was training three four hours a day I didn't care I just needed the fuel so I would eat you know chicken dipped in guacamole oh, for yeah. two meals out <laughs> of every day for a week and a half no problem but now I want to enjoy what I'm eating and that's my problem because I enjoy garbage. <laughs> but, it, but, right, you know, but you just got to mitigate what you're eating. You have to understand that food is often, so if we're eating, especially if we're eating out, right? If we're buying this, pro, this food package, I mean, if, if you see some of these new documentaries that they have, not, not this weird vegan, multi-vegan ones, but um, um, uh, Poland has that um, new four-part documentary about, right. yeah. you know, the, the science of cooking, basically, the evolution of cooking with humans. and. On the one, the episode of Air, when they're talking about bread, um, there's a, he shows a food kitchen, and they're going through, it's a, it's a food lab, right? I'm sorry, it's a science kitchen, it's a food lab. So these guys are in there, they're trying to engineer the most delicious bread possible. And this happens with every major company. Like, they spend, they invest so much money into research and development to make food taste better. Like, right. because that's their business. Like, yeah. they, they want food is delicious on purpose. That's really important for people <laughs> to know, is that whatever diet you start, you will fail it because we are fighting these army these armies of scientists mm -hmm. that are genetically engineering hyper palatable foods and you are going to eat that stuff you are and it's okay it but is you just, exactly let's right. go back to that it's okay right and and the, the other reason the reason it's okay because we for lots of reasons other primarily other than fuel right right and like if you really want to get good at your diet like it has to be said you need to get comfortable eating I don't mean unflavorfully, but plainly or routinely. Like I eat 80% of what I eat at home with my wife and kids is chicken and some sort of vegetables. Like it's like it's just our go-to. Like and we prepare it in different ways to keep it kind of you know uh, less than boring, boring. But you have to get used if you're really going to eat for goals and you know and be productive. You're going to have to get used to eating routinely. But most people aren't aren't used. That's the thing. I think that's the big step. They haven't really gotten to they're not comfortable with that part yet and they're, they are they're they're individually on an individual basis fighting this army this 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 huge army of food production that is you know the, the food the food and it's not just it's not these, these big things like you know we can talk about doritos and lays and, and mcdonald's and of course they have food labs but like you know if you've ever been in the restaurant industry like even in small mom and pop kitchens they test things out. i mean food if you go buy food from someplace that you don't prepare from scratch like you don't make all the ingredients yourself and put it together. Like they've done their best to make the, the thing that you're buying is incredibly delicious because you're trading money, you know, for deliciousness and, and right. for all kinds of reasons. So it's okay because we eat for pleasure, right? We eat when we're sad. Like if you're like my family, we're part Italian. So we eat for every occasion. We eat if somebody gets married, we eat if somebody dies. Like we're always eating food. It's just how we celebrate birthdays, we celebrate funerals, we celebrate uh, raises, we celebrate getting fired. Like that's how, you know, it's yeah. always around food. Because it, it brings people together. Right? Well, and that's so. that's how I'm social. Because yes. I don't I don't drink, and I don't consume alcohol. But so you're like three steps ahead of everybody else there, though. Right. But I like to eat, and that's my problem. What and so <laughs> I also have an addictive personality, and so you know my problem is when I eat that garbage. I eat that garbage. I don't mess around. So like I binge it, you know. So that's <laughs> my other problem with like the 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 30 days, the whole 30s, or, 
you know, 60 days of this or whatever, because then, you know, I immediately start going, well, I'm going to eat super healthy for 30 days. But at the end of this 30 days, I'm going ham. <laughs> going on ham pizza. on some ham? Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? And so... I'm going to have a bacon wrapped bacon right. roll. And so, <laughs> you know, there's a... And it's all about, you know, deciding pass or fail. Because you can decide to pass or fail. Well, that's and a, so making so a, a decision is huge. It is a, but that's, and that goes back to, like, some of, these, some of these diets. Like, so what happens after Whole30? Like, they don't really have... And this isn't a knock on Hall 30, like the company. There's no segue. Like there's, there's no, no maintenance diet. Right. There's no right. lifestyle change. There's no lifestyle change. And so I'm kind of in the same situation. Like, so what I've been doing, um, I traveled over the Christmas holiday. We're sitting in mid late January now. So a month ago I was in Mexico for Christmas, which was really nice. But like I my patterns were all disrupted. I wasn't working. We were there for like a week. And uh, with a lot of my family, and I ended up eating a lot less just because we were busy, like out on the beach or like exploring town or like you know, mixing up with the locals, and I end up like just skipping meals like randomly just because, and I wasn't hungry. It's just funny. What you should be able to do. You should be able and to do. So, like, part of the overeating thing is the boredom thing. Well, some of it's boredom, some of it's routine. Like, right. oh, I just always eat breakfast before work. Like, well, do you really, I mean, are you hungry? Right. Why are you eating you should, if you're not hungry? You, and then that brings us to the whole intermittent fasting rabbit Well, that's exactly, yeah. So, I've been doing intermittent fasting by accident because we got back, we got back from uh, Mexico. I'm starting back in routine, but I, just, I was just eating less in general, and so those are very, I'm trying to make it more purposeful now. But then we got we got uh, my family got struck with that super flu that's been going around oh, up yeah, here, yeah. and um, I just had no appetite. And then I started to trim up because um, you know I was getting pretty comfortable <laughs> being a little fluffy last year. Then the last year, just because you know I eat for comfort. Like you again, we have this thing like I have a busy day at work. Like I just want to dig into something really palatable that that. that that makes me, you know, eating chills me out. It's, you know, it makes it, you feel good. Right? Yeah, it's like self medicating for right. sure. It's a type of self medicating. So, like, if work is busy and stressful or home life is busy and stressful, like, I, I want to eat something that's going to make, because you get that, you get that, that, that dopamine endorphin kick from that, right? right? Everybody does. So, I started, I got sick, um, wasn't really eating more than like a few hundred calories a day kind of by accident. And then I, I started to pull out of that. Like, I, I realized I had a diminished appetite. Yeah. And so I'm only eating one or one to one and a half meals a day. And the, the big thing with this, I've done intermittent fasting before very purposefully. I, I was reading Ori Hoffmeyer's Warrior Diet book um, a long time ago, like seven or eight years ago. I was doing intermittent fasting for a while and I really liked it. Um, at the time, I was working in a, res- a restaurant, I was managing a restaurant in addition to doing training. And that was tough because it was an Italian place. Yeah. And so, like, you get one, you know, we get a free meal. So, my one meal a day often like, coincided with work at night. Um, and it would be this huge, like, calorie bomb of, like, Alfredo sauce on pizza with, like, six different meats and, like, I mean, it was delicious, but that's not really the point of, like, you know, they're fasting, yeah. you still want to try to eat healthy, relatively you know, decent food. Yeah, so, like, you know, whole foods and stuff. So I've been, I've been doing this intermittent fasting by accident. My cool thing, I'm at, I'm at this point, um, it's not a pain in the ass anymore. Like, my appetite is generally adjusted down, and I'm still continuing to drop. Um, easily drop a few pounds a week, just kind of trimming up that way, which is nice. Um, and then I get one meal that that's very satisfying, or two kind of smaller meals. Like I try to like just keep an eye of like I want like one big plate of food throughout the day. And so if I break that up into two meals, that's fine. If I eat all at once, that's fine. It kind of just depends how my day lines up. So I could plan better for that on my part. Um, but the intermittent fast is not. You know, people give intermittent fasting like way more credit than it than it's due. They're like, oh, it's wonderful, like it resets your metabolism and your hormone profile increases. And that may be true, 
but it's not magical. You're just eating less food. That's why you lose weight when you're, you know, if you're skipping meals, like you're taking in less calories. Right. Like it's pretty plain science. Like e even if the other stuff is cool on the back end, like you, you do, like, I don't know, you, your blood work, you know, generally, so generally you lose weight, your, your blood metrics, your blood work is going to look better, your cholesterol and all that stuff. And your hormone profile generally increase for that too. I mean, if you're overweight, you're, you're starting to do, uh, mess up your, inter you know, what's going on internally with you as right. well. You know, and I heard, uh, something on a podcast. I can't even remember which one cause I listen to a million a day, um, <laughs> but like he brought up the point like where, you know, is veganism healthy? Sure. If you consider what they were eating before, like if yes. you consider what these people were eating before <coughs> and then they go to veganism, whatever it was is going to be healthier. And so you could say, you know, whole 30s healthier, paleo's healthier, keto's healthier, whatever it is. You know what all these things have in common? Vegetables, you, dude. Like, and you're not eating <laughs> so, garbage except for keto because vegetables. you're eating less vegetables. You're eating less vegetables, but right. you, for a lot of people. Uh, we saw this with like Atkins though. Like you can still get some like really fibrous vegetables in. Like this keto is kind of like Atkins part two. I mean, there's some differences in like you know macronutrient so, setups. Like but true keto is bananas. And, and when it's I like was like sticks of butter in your right, mouth. Like, I, right. <laughs> and when I was doing keto, what they call that is modified Atkins. Yeah. And so keto is like ninety percent fat, and then like. 8% protein and 2% carbs. That's, that's, and that's one thing. So that's one thing. I have a real big problem with people with this being such a catch all diet right now where everybody's like, oh, I'm doing keto. It's like, well, I don't, I don't mind that you're doing a low carb diet. Like, I'm, I'm not really like, right. if something's working for you, I want you to use it. Like, and that's veganism or vegetarianism. And again, you're, you're improving the quality of your food. We generally see a positive correlation to weight loss or weight management at that point, right? But I really have a problem with people going around saying, you know, I'm doing keto and they're not. They're doing low carb. And I don't usually right. care about splitting hairs, but people have no, like, no idea how hard to do keto is because even if you take in too much protein, you're going to produce glucose from that. Like you can right. produce you know, sugar right. but that, from the protein you eat, so it's very controlled diet. Right, but the myth is is you only go to gluconeogenesis when you need it. And so like if you eat too much protein, it's not going to turn into glucose unless you're doing a big workout that you weren't really mm -hmm. planned for. Mm -hmm. Then it starts to switch. It starts to switch but it care. doesn't just automatically do that unless you need more glucose in your system, unless you're creating that stress response that needs that. And so, and you maybe because we're not talking about you know, right? Kind of brushing against lifestyle and, and why people eat what they eat, but like again, well, I mean, so you know, the low carb thing works quite well. And I tell people again, if you have a if you have a desk job that switches to a couch job at the end of the day. But frankly, you have like your average person is doing, like in reality, like of course you want to see them more active than this. And I know that, uh, you know, the old school CrossFit um, schedule is like two on, one off, right? Two on, one off kind of thing. Or two on, one off, three on, one off. Yeah, like that. well, that's great. That would be that would be wonderful. But like the reality, like most of my clients, I see two to three sessions, two to three one hour sessions a week. Yeah. Um, and I, we really work hard on getting them doing something outside of the gym that they enjoy. And I don't, I don't care what that is. It's tennis. Or like we live in the mountains, so it's hiking. That's great. I don't care if it's a Zumba class because they like to dance. Like I want them to do something else, right? It doesn't all have to be weight training all the right. time, but um, unless that's your thing, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, because that's my thing, right? yeah, that, yeah. So, if you, and if you enjoy right. it, like go go ham on it, right? But right. but most people's, you know, we know that I'm not even labeling carbs as evil. But we know that carbs are most closely tied to activity levels. So three two to three hours a week of activity is not very much. It's it's again, it's more than that they were doing before. Which right. is better. Which is better. Which is what better we're doing. is always right. better. But so I have no problem recommending lower carbohydrate diets to people, um, especially for swapping some of that carbohydrate, you know, those calories out for like fresh vegetables. 
which a lot of people I see, especially that, that really, I mean, I'm talking about people who have never really been active, right? These aren't people that like were high school athletes or college athletes and then switched over. Like I'm like a lot of the people that come into my facility, this is their, you know, they're, they're 40 plus. They've never eaten well. They've never lifted a weight. You know, <clears throat> they have trouble walking at this point and they're not necessarily hugely overweight. They're just unhealthy. And so all this stuff, of course, is going to make like huge strides forward, but I have no problem recommending low carb diets to these folks because they just frankly don't need either carbohydrates, you know, yeah. unless they're really meant, you know, unless they're on a really low fat diet, which I don't really love either, but you know, for lots of reasons there. Yeah, so the body's built to be adaptable. Yeah. And so there's some days where you should be keto. There's some days where you should be paleo and you should be able to switch back and forth through whatever. Yep. Just basically eat real fucking food. That's, that's, what the <laughs> that's the thing that's magical. The vegetable matter, getting vegetables in your diet. I don't care what approach you use. You need vegetables in your diet, and you need them at every meal. You need vegetables at breakfast. You need vegetables at lunch. You need vegetables at dinner. And I don't mean like, you know, roasted carrots with like brown sugar and shit on top. Like I mean like you need lightly cooked, like you know, green vegetables. Like and you need it all day long. And then if you build your diet around that, you know, because I think and we and we have especially being a gym culture, we have a way of over exaggerating how much protein people actually need. Again, if you're a full-time weight training guy or a full-time CrossFit dude, like you're, you're, in, or like you know, an NFL linebacker, for example, like you need to, you need way more protein. Bit, but, yeah. but if you're again, if you're minimal, if you're doing minimal effective dose and activity, like we can get away with less protein. And what yeah. I'd rather see is people going to like an intermittent vegetarian thing. I would rather see people do that than than get into like a bunch of supplementation with like whey protein and shit like that. No, I mean, there's a lot of, of course, you know, we're really digging the research. There's a lot of research that, that has a positive, again, a positive correlation on like extra protein in the diet on a weight you know, when you're in a weight loss protocol um there's a pot you know getting more lean meats in has a positive effect on on body um body fat percentages and things like that but but for most people they've never eaten they don't they don't eat vegetables like right. it's bizarre so then, but then there's the carnivore diet where people only eat meat and so it's just like you know so i that sounds like colon cancer waiting to happen. <laughs> I mean, I I, I equate like, that to I love meat. I eat meat all the time. Because like, there's the argument where it's like, well, I'd rather be hot. Well, I'd rather be cold. Uh -huh. But then I have one of my friends be like, why can't I just be moderate? You know what I mean? Like, why do you have to only eat meat? Why do you only have to eat fat? Why do you only have to eat carbs? Why can't you just be moderate well, and adjust it as you need? But all these things, because moderation, we're not we're not good at moderation. Like, no, I'm going moderation. out for one drink. Like, I'm having one piece of cake, one little piece of cake. Like, nobody, people say these things every day. No. Right. And so that's the one thing. more time. Like, I'm doing this thing one more time, you know, whatever it may be. And we're not good at moderate. Most of us are all or nothing. And so, like I said, it's a, it's a, I have an addictive personality. And so I have to literally treat myself as an addict because I am one. And so, like, there was an well, we all, yeah. And I'll say, we all self medicate. Like, right. It, and, and so we're, we're, both of us are unaware of what we do for self-medication. Right. So we all do it. My story and my example is I went to an education course and, you know, my fiance was having, you know, a family barbecue. And so I come back from that education course. It blew my mind to pieces. My brain was dead. I came in. There's just this plethora of food. So I eat a slice of apple pie and then I eat a slice of cherry cheesecake and then I eat four slices of <laughs> pumpkin bread and you see what I'm saying like I could have just chosen one and been like I'm eating this slice of this thing but I you, didn't you could have I went ape 
and ate all of it. And then just with like... And people's jaws, you know, this is the point where people are looking, they're starting to notice after the third or fourth dessert and people's jaws are starting to like drop to the floor, right? Like, right. How is this monster still like, eating? What the fuck am I doing? You know what I mean? But then afterward, but it's like I black out and then wake up with chocolate this on my face. There's empty whipped cream canisters yeah. everywhere. Just being like, <laughs> did I win? I won, huh? Like just, I have no idea. I just black out and get after it. And it's like... You're talking to a dude who's been kicked out. I've been cut off of all-you-can-eat crab legs at, at, at Red Lobster. I've been kicked out of a buffets for eating entire sheet pans of London broil. When I was a kid, I mean, I was like young. Like, I can I can push it down, man. Yeah. And I'm the same way with meat. Like, for some reason, I don't have a shut-off switch. Like, I yeah. will eat three or four, like, one-pound ribeyes you know where to go it's bizarre like <laughs> it is not good it's not you know right. it's it's delicious there's a there's a like an ego lab that I can eat all this I could you know I can eat you guys under the table in a way but like it's not it's definitely not healthy behavior man no, and there's something like, psychotic in there like but it's just like <laughs> there's a psychosis right but it's just like fucking stop it you don't need just, to you don't need to so how do you stop it I mean so I mean this is great so, so again then, this goes back like we, we all eat you know why we eat is generally not for sustenance, it's not for fuel. We eat for all kinds of reasons that are not sustenance related. And so like binge eating is a huge thing that, like a huge red flag to me when I see that with a client, right? Or right. Again, food logs or whatever, it's a huge red flag. And I, I try to catch it myself. You're talking about being more self-aware about it. So what do we, you know, so how do you stop it? What do we do about it? You have to realize that it's a decision-making paradigm. So like you have to look at it, and even if it's a subconscious decision, you have to force it to be a conscious decision. So when you walk in, and you see that and you you have to realize and this is like having a conversation with yourself I am stressed out this was a rugged day so am I gonna eat this yes or no yes how much am I gonna eat because you can mitigate that you don't have to go crazy you know what I mean and then so and I realize that it's easier said than done because I'm still practicing it it takes practice I was gonna say it takes practice and so Making making a conscious effort, a conscious decision to make an effort, right. you will fail a lot. And I, ex- I expect people to fail. I expect myself to fail. But by failing, we can reflect on the failure. Right. We don't have to feel guilty about it. We can say, it's okay, right. I failed. But and I will so, do better next time, right? Right. And so that's one thing that I teach people, especially in the CrossFit space. Failure is not a bad thing. It just is. And so I think I mean now I, now I like to sum that up. Like I think failure is a great thing in a lot of ways. Right. I mean, and so it just and I think that. You know, failure is either a learning experience or you see where your limits are for that day. You know what I mean? So, you know, like that that example that I gave a few minutes ago is a glaring example of complete and total failure. Just like <laughs> I'm talking shit to bed. Like, you know what I mean? So, but now that's an example of something that I don't want to be. And that was like, that was the limit. So now when I walk in, I'm like, okay, so do we really want this? Yes or no? Okay, I want this. So now make a decision between which one of these four desserts that you want Mm -hmm. and have just that one. You know what I mean? Or if you're not planning a cheat meal, then when you get home and both you and your spouse are stressed to the max and you're just like, we're getting pizza. Don't feel bad about it. No, own it. Right. Okay, I love pizza, man. Like, love it. And it's plenty of days well, you, get, you get home with, I, I've been at work too long. My kids are crazy. My wife hasn't had a chance to cook because she often does, you know, right. we often switch actually because she works nights and work days. So often we'll switch those responsibilities. But, um, you know, for example, I get home from my, you know, it's late. It's already late. We're stressed out. And it's like, fuck, we're just going to eat out, right? So, but the strategy's there too. 
you know, when you mentioned describe the one dessert and then get get the other ones literally out of your line of sight. Like, right. if you're going to do a pizza, get a smaller pizza, right? If you don't right. have leftover sauce, you can't come back later, right? And this sounds, these sounds almost stupid or childish because they're so simple, but it works. I, my wife and I have gotten back into splitting everything we go out to eat, right? And, you know, the trouble is that you have to enjoy the same type of food or you have to make compromises there, but otherwise, because I am the type of person, I will eat everything in front of me, I will eat everything in front of you, I'll eat, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take shit off my kids' plates, like... No, yeah, and like, if you're, if, if you're not eating it, then we can't let it go to waste, yeah. so I'm gonna eat it too. Yeah, I don't know if it's something I've embraced, like, you have to clean your plate, so I get, a, I get a smaller plate, even at home now, especially with the intermittent fasting, you know, component, I get a smaller plate, and I take, I take half the portion, and you guess what, I sit there, and if I'm still hungry, I've eaten, I've eaten less, and if, if food still sounds good to me after a few minutes, I really try to take a few, a few moments to sit here, like, not a few seconds, like, I want to hang out, I want to talk, and, um, you know, you know, Precision Nutrition uh, course talks about this, um, I, uh, I can't remember the guy's name who runs that course, but he talks about this, like, yeah, not even getting into people's heads about what they're eating, but, like, getting them to sit down, eat slowly, and things like that. Yeah, thirty cheese per minute. Yeah, so there's thirty cheese per bite is what it was. It sounds it sounds so crazy, but but it's so true because I I like, shovel 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 like like you have a bigger <laughs> spoon because like, fuck I'm just gonna use my hands like <laughs> you know and and, and so that's, just, that's an issue because then you then you you've eaten three times as much as you need to in a sitting before you even realize you're full and somehow you're still cramming food in because now you've kicked in that eating response that gluttonous eating response you're like fuck it I'm gonna like. I'm already all in. Like, let's let's do some real yeah, damage yeah, here. Right, yeah. Right. So you know, smaller plates. I sit down. I if when I'm done with my meal, I make a conscious decision to talk to my wife for a few minutes, like to have dinner conversation, and sit and or involve myself with the kids for a few minutes. And if I'm still hungry, then I can you can have more food, right? Like nobody says um, you so, can't have more. But I try to get a, again a smaller second portion instead of you know the same amount. So so it's like my body work practice test and retest, right? Yeah. So test. Eat your food, wait 10, 15 minutes if you're still hungry, retest, eat some more food, you know what I mean? And then retest again, sit for another 10, 15 minutes, but if you don't think about food past that time, then just don't eat it. Yeah, right? you really don't. Like there's, and then I, I find myself, I mean, same way, I eat, uh, I eat reflexively, I guess is the correct term for it. Yeah. I, mean, I eat, I see something how I eat it. Like I, got, I don't know what I'm doing, I guess I should have a bite of this. It's like, why, I mean, I'm not even hungry. I, I could have just eaten and I'll find something I'll find an excuse mentally like this you know this, so this, that's the addictive thing that is addictive thing it's just yeah. wow so it's not I, even you know not any sweets for me necessarily it's just right. uh, you so know you know who Russell Brand is yeah yeah so I read his book called Recovery which is his version of the 12 step program and it's I think A everybody should read that because I feel like that would just make you a better person if you went through the 12 step program everybody mm -hmm. needs to do that but B it helped me realize that I am truly an addict and I may not be addicted to something as detrimental as hard drugs or alcohol or cigarettes or whatever it is but I am addicted to something that can have detrimental effects in the long run if I keep eating that way mm -hmm. and so I have to wrap my head around that and I have to act accordingly you know what I mean because like I said I binge so like if I do the whole 30 I'm an extraordinarily determined person, so I can make the whole 30 happen for 30 days, 60 days, whatever. But my problem is, I don't just get off the wagon, I jump off and shoot it with a bazooka. Like, and then I just binge for <laughs> however long. And so, you know, you being in that fitness space for so long, you can 
start to see where, you know, like, like for instance, I did four months of keto. Mm-hmm. You know, started to kind of feel bad during workouts. Started adding a little bit more carbs. You know, started feeling better during my workouts. But then, my if a little good, a lot right. Better, my <laughs> screwed up brain is all carbs are good. And then I start eating all the carbs. And so four months of work, (laughs) right. So, so, so four months of work and dedication and discipline just gets shot to shit over a month of just binging. You know what I mean? So that's what a month is a long binge too. I mean, I knew a girl did bodybuilding and she would, she was super strict all week, but then she would literally eat like a dozen donuts herself on the weekend. Like on Sunday morning, that was her like one binge morning. And and the rock does that, but we're not the rock. Well, and so like 350 pounds, like, so you know, the equivalent for you and I sitting whatever close to, you know, between 25, 200 or whatever we're at, you're about 225-ish? Not yeah. Even. Yeah, okay. So the equivalent would be like three or four donuts. Like, he's got another 100 pounds of muscle on top of each of us. Right. Like, of muscle, of productive tissue that, that has... Well, and that's his <laughs> job. Well, it is his job. So and, our but job... But also, what, is he work? how many days a week? You know, how many days a week is he working out? Right. Those work out? We know nothing about that. So just saying, and this is, well, this is the perfect thing. I want to transition this too. This is... Um, <clears throat> For the same reason the, cross, the CrossFit Games give a, a, a disproportionate view of, of what's achievable, these Instagram stories and shit, yeah. like, social media is hell. A lot of times for the average person, in terms of like bringing those guilty feelings and shit, and, and having unrealistic expectations, yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger puts down like 20 pancakes in his prime, and they and him and, um, you know, what, what's his face would go out and eat like a whole blueberry pie to themselves, like each, you know, and yeah, but like, they're, they're again, an athlete, like The Rock is more of an athlete than, he's, than, than not. Because his whole life revolves around the practice of his training right. for his physique, and, that, and that's really like I, I think this is an old, you know, maybe an old school argument. Like, is bodybuilding really a sport? It is if your whole life revolves around it. Like, you know, it's like a, it's a weird, weird. It doesn't weird require sport. as much athleticism as other sports. Right. It is a weird, weird sport, and it's judged in a very strange way that isn't necessarily straightforward. Is like this <laughs> this team scored more points than this team, so they won. Like, it's you know, the defining factors are more ambiguous there, but. It, it requires less athleticism, but it still requires some athleticism. It requires right. a little planning. It's very physical. Like, it's very mentally tough. Like, you're in these huge points of, like, you know, huge calorie deprivations and carb depletions and things like that so you can get show ready. Like, it's, it's mentally exhausting. For most people don't really want to do that, right? right. Like, but, and, but it's probably more athletic than, like, golf. Like, right. <laughs> so I'm going to – you mentioned social media, and I want to switch gears, like, completely – and talk about some. Sort of-